0: always found the right people to be around, you know. Yeah. But it's just not just that. It's finding the right people to be around who are actually around the right people too because everyone it's all infectious, you know? Yeah. People tell me it's like, hey, how do you find good people in LA? It's really hard. There's a lot of fake people here. It's a lot of mm-hmm. crazy shit. I'm like, Really? You know, I found the best fucking people here. Yeah. Because I always have a lot of value to add to their lives. You know, like, you know, I always bring the I, I always bring the best people yeah. with me. And people that are bigger than me and that have done a lot of really crazy things, you know, they want to meet those people too. So it's kind of like that's some
1: of the value that I add, you know. So I'm always attracting great people. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Here today with one of the most interesting men I've ever met. And We're going to actually get to the bottom of something at some point during this conversation with Ted. Ted Danik is here. Uh, Some of you may have heard of him, but we're going to get into some things today that you probably want to have a little notes app on your phone ready because we're going to cover a couple things about achieving your ultimate ambitions, the path to get there, and I think we're going to probably go down a couple of rabbit holes as well. So, Ted, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy, a lot of things going on, a lot of balls in the air. So first off, tell me about your background. Cause prior to this, I, we intentionally like, kinda like kept a, kept conversation to a minimum. (laughs) We're just meeting now. Um, What's your connection to India? So I mean I don't know you seem a lot younger than me but there was a sh- there's a film called Slumdog
0: Millionaire that was yeah. out a little while back you yeah. know a few years ago I was that kid that fell in the in the ground you know in the in the hole in the movie <laughs> So no I, I was I was in the film but I'm from India you know I was actually born there so I was born in um I'm from Gujarat okay. and yeah. um I was born in Bombay at the time it was called Bombay Uh-huh. I recognize Mumbai, you know?
1: No, yeah. Nope. Just kidding. Yeah, it's like when Madras and Chennai right. changed. People are yeah. like, ah, oh, no, it's Madras. Um, Yeah, I'm from there, but I
0: spent my adolescent years in Silicon Valley, but I lived kind of all over the country. Mm-hmm. And then I've been in LA for 23 years. But oh, so for a I'm minute. disguised, you know? Like a lot of people don't know what I am, you know? And I'm sure you get the same thing. You yeah. can't tell what I am, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, are you from Brazil? Are you Chinese? Or, like, what are you? You know? It's yeah. kind of crazy. Are you just a dark white dude? You know. Yeah. <laughs> so I get all kinds of stuff all the time. It's um, it's interesting and fun. But yeah, you know, I gotta like kind of like be a little bit extra about the whole Indian thing. that's where i where am I,
1: like Rudraksha beads, you know? And mm-hmm. my,
0: and my I, noticed.
1: So. <laughs> I noticed, I noticed, I noticed. Where's yours? Listen, my mom <laughs> has given me like hundreds of them over the years. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I always have something in my car, you know. And people see them and they're like, hey, what's that? Because people don't understand. Like, I'll have like a little. Every time I get a new car. Uh, she gives me a, like a little Ganesh to put in like the center console. And um, to me, that's just like one little thing that like is her connection to me and she's doing for me. Uh, but you see a lot of people, especially out here in California, that are maybe somewhat feel like they have a connection to that, whether it's through yoga or whatever. Sure. Um, but like having been there and lived there, you know, I've gone there multiple times. Obviously, my mom is from there. It's it hits different when you go there. So I think, you know, like it is kind of weird
0: because I'm 47 and I, I spent a lot of my time I spent my first 9 years in Texas, you know, mm-hmm. and it was a really rough time. That's where I learned how to fight and it was pretty racist there in the beginning, you know, this was in the early 80s and so it was it was a it was a really crazy time and it was hard being Indian, you know, it was really tough at yeah. you know, the time. But now it's like we're fucking trending finally, you know? Yeah. It's insane. Indians are trending. Fucking headline, you know, and it's crazy because we're running some of the biggest tech companies in the world or maybe all of them. And then um, at the same time, it's like, you know, like we meet girls and they like Indians. It's the weirdest thing. You know, the girls actually like Indians
1: now. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. Wow. So weird. And, you know, on top of that, we have a guy for the first time that I can remember that's running for president. That's Indian. (laughs) That's crazy. You know, and I'm like, wow. Like, you know, and it's he's being accepted. You know, so and he used to do tech support on on the call centers, <laughs> <laughs> and you can understand him now. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, it's it's like you said, it's like it, it's in vogue right now. There's been a lot of different things. There was a minute I felt like, did you see this like uh, like about like ten years ago when the Bollywood thing was kind of getting big? Sure. Yeah, you know, and then like uh, people like Priyanka Chopra came onto the scene. That was a
0: trip. Yeah. And
1: that was like, wow, she became mm-hmm. like a pretty like mainstream celebrity. Sure. And so that's when people started being like, wow, Indian women are beautiful. Like, it's like it became a thing. Um, so you mentioned Texas and some of the things you dealt with. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I dealt with things growing up in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and but the thing is, it wasn't discrimination or a racism for being Indian. It was they thought I was black. Right. They're like, this is a black kid. So that that is what I got. And it was funny to see people shift literally in front of your face. Yeah. When they're like, oh, wait. You're not black. You're Indian. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And like, I show them a photo, like my, my mom and the sari and the batu. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, now you can come in my house. It, it was so bizarre. It was like yeah. almost like, of, oh, Indians. Oh, smart. You know, yeah. gr- good culture. Whatever. They thought I was black, and they were like, it was like totally different. It was so. It was so weird. So, growing up, like, and having that time in Texas, like, what were some of the things that you had to deal with? Yeah, I mean, just getting beat up, you know. Yeah, (laughs) just
0: basically, (laughs) just getting beat up every day, and you know, I got to a point where I was like, yeah, I was getting beat up a lot, and then you know, I just had to like figure out how to fight. Yeah. So then I learned how to fight, and then you know, that stopped after a while because I just couldn't. And then I and then I ended up moving to India actually after Texas because my father worked in the oil business. You know, Mm -hmm. he was a mechanical engineer, and it was hard to get work during the '80s, like the oil crisis and stuff like that. So we moved to India. We almost died, my brother and I, so we flew back six months later, and then we lived in New York and New Jersey. So I lived in New Jersey, and, I, you know, I was, it, was, it was racism there, too. It was the Italians yeah. and the blacks against, yep. you know, they didn't like anyone else, you know, it was, <laughs> it was crazy. So, you know, and and, uh, and but I already knew how to fight, so it was fine, you know, at yeah. that point. So so it's kind of it's kind of cool, but so, so with you, I'm gonna host this podcast. I'm taking over. Let's right now, go, so let's go, let's go. So like with you, like I can't tell, like what's up with what's up with you? Can you say your last name the
1: way it's supposed to be said? Okay. How your mom would expect you. So to say my, it? if I'm in India, yeah. or my mom was saying my name, she would say it, Suresh yeah. Madhavan, almost okay. like there's a th, Suresh sure. Madhavan. Okay. However, when you're a kid growing up, like I, I was born on Staten Island, New York. Sure. So it was. 100 percent italian and then there was mm-hmm. me yeah uh, and then moved to you know middle of nowhere new jersey mm-hmm. and as a kid with a name like that you're kind of like it's almost like embarrassing because everyone sure. else's name is like dan smith or you know rob you know whatever sure. and it was like so people would say my name mm-hmm. and i just got to the point of like they're like uh sresh my the hell? yeah that's it Cause I didn't, I wasn't at that point. Sure. I was already the outcast. Yeah. So I wasn't gonna sit there and correct sure. these white people that were butchering yeah. my name because I didn't have that confidence. Yeah. To do it. Yeah. So and there was a lot of things in my life that turned into that mm. where I just started accepting things and just saying, well, like I kind of got to like blend in here. Mm-hmm. I can't like make noise. Sure. Because if I do, I'm gonna be, you know, it's gonna be pointed out. It's gonna become a thing, and uh, yeah, dealt with it, dealt with it my whole life. Yeah. You know, so it was it was tough. And, you know, my mom knew that I was dealing with it. So, like, she kind of, like, was like, I understand. I understand why you're doing certain things. I'm understanding, you know, understand. So, there was, like, a time I came home and I was like, mom, can, like, literally, can we change my name? This is, like, out of control. <laughs> can we change my name? Sure. I don't want to deal with this name anymore. I was little. Mm-hmm. And kids are rough. Kids are mean yeah. to each other, you know? Mm-hmm. So, it was very hard not only to look so different sure be the only brown kid in the entire town but then on top of that to have this strange name yeah you know that no one could pronounce you know i had the same thing
0: it's crazy like i changed my name too my name's not really i i know everyone's like ted that's such an indian name (laughs) it's like (laughs) a fucking super desi name right but it's not surprisingly it's not so ted i changed my name because in Texas, the same thing. I was getting beat up because people were calling me, like, my real name is Tej. Tej. T E J. Okay. That's what I was named. And um, it's the same thing that Ludacris has in Fast and Furious. That's the same name.
1: Mm. You know? Yeah, okay. What uh, you know?
0: All right, there we go. Same name, yeah. <laughs> so um, I had to change my name because I changed my name myself because it's like, yo, you know, my, my parents were like, you know, you can't change your name. I'm like, yeah, I got to change my name. You know, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I changed my name myself and I was like, fucking seven, eight years old, you know? and uh and then it worked out but yeah i mean they were like slaughtering my name you know forever it was crazy so i i get it i had to change i had to do the same thing yeah it was hard yeah it was hard. so but now that- i want to change it back it's crazy right oh, right the you the get more women. formerly known as you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I change it back. Desh and formerly known as ted yeah because every girl's like yo your name's so much cooler
1: your real name i was like fuck man isn't that so weird it wasn't until i got yeah. older like when i was younger all the people who were kind of my age and whatever what they were like well, that wh- that's such a weird name, whatever. Yeah. And then you become an adult, mm-hmm. and you meet people, and they say, Suresh, that's such an interesting name. Where's mm-hmm. that from?" So it's this full progression and sure. maturity, and you know, yeah. ignorance kind of subsides a little bit. Yeah, you know? and also I think that you know this whole cultural shift, and people want to be
0: super spiritual. And by the way, we are like the like the fund, the foundation fundamental spiritualism guys you know like we were the we're the guys you know like the first ones hinduism was like oh it's about all about inner you know it's everything's inside of you even the the gods are inside of you you know Mm -hmm. like so everything's from within right so we're kind of at the forefront of spirituality and now the whole world is all about being spiritual
1: so my beads became cool you know now my beads are cool and people are like oh my god beads are so cool i'm like yeah "Ah, well you know I had that on in high school, 97, yeah. Yeah. I had that on. People were like, what is that around your neck? Are those like chickpeas? And I'm like. <laughs> Very close, they're berries,
0: they're yeah. dried yeah. berries, yeah. yeah.
1: You <laughs> know, so, but yeah, like, you know, it comes full <laughs> comes full circle, it's like so bizarre. Yeah. So, you left Texas, yeah. went back to India, mm-hmm. and you then came back. Uh, you said you and your brother almost died, what happened? You get a lot of GI problems there from yeah. like water, or food, we didn't know what it was.
0: My parents were convinced of some sort of black magic you know mm-hmm. it's kind of like the evil eye thing you know like some yeah. someone staring at you so I' like oh, I don't know about all that but anyway so we're forbidden to ever go back to India my parents will not let us go there because my brother actually his heart stopped and he was blue and just crazy oh. crazy stuff from like he got um, uh, blood poisoning from the, from an IV actually he was super sick and then they gave him an IV and he got blood poisoning from contaminated oh. IV so he almost died and then I had like something similar. So, my parents had to just leave like we had to fly out of the country and just leave. It could not i it was it was so great that we didn't end up in India, you know what I mean it was, yeah. I would have been really like the slumdog millionaire, that, yeah <laughs> you know, the actual sure. the yeah. actual one, you know, and then so then we moved to New York and New Jersey and then San Diego and then San Francisco, and I spent my adolescent years in the Bay Area uh-huh. and then came here in two thousand for some startups and stuff, and we'll get into those. but yeah. Um, but I won't leave LA. You know, everyone's like, Oh, let's go to Austin. Let's go to Florida. I'm like, yeah, I'll come visit. But I, I, I don't know, man. What holds you here the liberals, man. Just kidding. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, oh, I think man, what holds me down. Oh yeah. No, hold, what holds me? Here. <laughs> don't cancel us. <laughs> yeah. 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 We can't talk about religion or politics. So we're gonna make a lot of really interesting new friends. But, um, I think that, or enemies, but I think that what keeps me here really is the weather. And I think the, just like, Overall, the people are, are pretty good, you know? Yeah. And the you don't get the kind of energy and ambition you have here in LA, it's just, you know, there's nothing to compare it with, you know, yeah. like other parts of the country. I mean, I spent a lot of time in other places, and you just don't have that here, you know, um, have that there. You can, you know, you can meet the most interesting people here who've done like the craziest things. like Anything you wanna do, you can find those people here, you can meet them and replicate whatever else, yeah. whatever they've done, you know, and, and um, so that's,
1: really rare yeah I, I have, I'm starting to notice that it's like yeah. my first time really like being immersed in LA and mm-hmm. I'm starting to notice that it's different than I thought it would be definitely yeah. definitely different and uh, meeting a lot of great people mm-hmm. so let's talk about the progression from where you started out sure because we're all we're all we all have our ambitions in mind mm-hmm. our you know our six month goals our one- year goals but then we have our 10 year goals and our lifetime goals you kind of started that trajectory earlier than most, it feels like. So can you get into that a little bit?
0: Yeah, so like, your mom probably drilled this into you, just like my parents did too. It's like, you know, for us, it's like, Indians, you had to be a doctor, a lawyer, you know, or you had to be like, you know, something professional. At the end of the day, you had to do something that made, you know, like, that that could earn you a living that was decent, Mm -hmm. you know, because Mm -hmm. we're basically like, almost like first generation or second generation here, and, you know, you need, you need, you know, like you just, we're just a, a very competitive um, ethnicity just because of there's a billion or more of us, you know, in mm-hmm. India. So you're competing always for jobs and like for, you know, for work and stuff like that. So all that's instilled in us. And so like things like, you know, like my friends who are playing musical instruments and playing sports, I wasn't allowed to play sports or musical instruments. They made me focus on my grades. I got, I was four, you know, like 4.0 all A's and stuff, but it was it was really critical that i got you know my school work done that was the most important thing that's what's going to get me into med school or or law school or whatever it was that i was going to do after you know obviously i was going to be a doctor at um, one point it's just like every other indian Same kid's here. parents yeah. um, dreamed for them my father's uh, my grandfather and um, the rest of the family they're all doctors and stuff too so you know I, my my dad was an engineer he wanted to be a doctor so now i was supposed to be a doctor you know like whatever anyways glad i never became a doctor so early on, I was, you know, programmed from an early age that, hey, look, I had to do something monumental in my life. And I was, you know, already set. And I, I knew that I was going to do something special. You know, I just yeah. didn't know what it was yet. And I and I realized that, you know, I needed some mentorship and I needed some direction. And my father was like super focused on self-help his whole life. So he's reading all these books like Zig Ziglar and, you know, Tony Robbins and, you know, like all these guys, like Brian Tracy and all that stuff. You mm-hmm. know, and he's just passing it on to me, and I'm reading it too. You know, and I'm like, it's an early age, and like start understanding about what the fuck osmosis really means. You yeah. know, it's just like what is osmosis. And by the way, we're working on a book, uh, "Winning by Osmosis," that um, you know we're working on writing right okay. now. But anyway, so something similar to that. But it, essentially, what what it meant was like I needed to be aligned with people, and that's why I'm here in L.A. I think too needed to be aligned with people that I wanted to be like, or I wanted to be able to replicate, you know, success or, you know, anything can be replicated. And I learned that really well from Tony Robbins. Uh-huh. And so I think early age, I decided like, hey, what do I want to do? I don't know what I want to do. I'm not that creative. I was never super creative. I knew how to fast follow, you know? Uh-huh. I knew how to replicate, you know? stuff. And to this day too, I'm not a creative pioneer. I don't pay roads, it's too expensive. I just figured out somebody who spent some money trying to figure something out, and I copy that real fast. You know, mm-hmm. I'm really good at doing it a little bit better, rather than doing it for you know for the first time. You know, yeah. Kind of Things. So, so from an early age, um, I fear I started understanding all of this, and I started to realize to realize that my environment is going to dictate what I'm going to do. I'm going to have good ideas or I'm going to have bad ideas, but I'm going to be a product of that environment, and I'm going to be either I'm I'm going to rise to the top of any environment that I'm going to. I want to be around a bunch of kids in the Bay Area that are selling drugs. I'm going to be the best drug dealer, right? <laughs> if I want to be, you know, like if I want to be around a bunch of kids that are doing, you know, like uh, they're working on startups, I'm going to have a startup that's going to succeed, you know? Uh-huh. Like whatever it was. So, um, luckily for me, I was in the Bay Area around the dot com boom, uh-huh. right? So like everyone everyone, you know, was somehow employed by a dot com at that point uh-huh. in the Bay Area because it was just a shortage of people. So I was in college and and I I got a job in these companies and I was doing sales, you know, sales and then business development. And I had a marketing d- degree and while I was, you know, getting that, I was working in sales and so I started selling software and stuff like that. And so I really started to understand how to sell value. And then um, and then I got to s- some startups and got got to a place where I was really building businesses for the companies uh-huh. and I started replicating other business models from other companies. And creating those products in um, for the companies I was working for, and that ended up going really far, to where I got myself to be like one of the five people in you know in the country that did what I did. Okay, I like I became really specifically you know uh, inclined in in a couple things, and then uh, made myself irreplaceable, and then in high demand, and then I ended up in a place um, startup called Lower My Bills. We yeah. one of the, well, it was one of the early guys there, and mm-hmm. then we ended up selling that to Experian. So yeah, so I have figured out how to make myself pretty valuable um, at an early age, and it's a super, super secret recipe. I'm just gonna share it. It's super simple. It's by being valuable. <laughs> That's you it become valuable by being valuable and adding value, yeah, to every friendship, relationship, partnership, customer, in every place you can, add as much value as you can without expecting anything in return. I mean, that's the key, yeah, just do what you do without having anyone affect what you do. so and that
1: and you become in, you know infinitely valuable. How did you learn that? At what point did you recognize that that was the key? because most people inherently say, well, if I'm going to do all this, I want this in return. It's almost like human biology, right? Like I'm going to put forth this, but wait, what am I getting back for this energy and effort and this time? And if they don't get that in return, they quit, right? So at what point did you realize that, you know what, I just got to put forth and bring value and it's going to come back to me?
0: Yeah, well, see, that's the whole thing is like putting value into something, so much value that you become irreplaceable and where, where where that happens is where it's that that's kind of like the apex and that pristine moment where no one can replace you and you are you, there's no value that can be assigned to you at, yeah. that, at that point right so so when you add so much value uh, you know you got to do it in the right setting you got to do it in the right places and it's got to be for the right uh reason too like you can't really do something you can't add I mean you can but it's like you wanna do something that you like doing. Yeah, first of all. You wanna do something that you like doing. The cause is good. The business is good. It's a good business. The business adds value to people's lives. Sure. End of the day, fundamentally. Yeah. And when 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 that's there, then you know, then you can you, you feel comfortable in and grow into it, you know, and I think that makes a pretty big difference.
1: Yeah. Now did you go to university?
0: I did. Where at? Northern California, Cal State, East yeah. Bay.
1: What's, what's your standpoint, because I get this question a lot sure. from people about going to college, getting your degree, or in this day and age, there's a lot of people who feel like college is a little bit of a scam, a mm-hmm. little bit of a waste of money, and they can figure out a path in life based on following their passion, bring, coming up with a product of value, and doing it without the college establishment. When, if someone were to ask you, someone young, You know, 17, 18 year old who's now looking down the barrel of either making a decision after high school, go to college, or maybe kind of just go get into the workforce, find, get some mentorship, learn a little bit, learn about being non replaceable. Sure. What would you tell them? Well, a couple of things.
0: So I've had the same, I've had this realization, you know, for many years about certain types of personalities and certain types of people. So it just depends. Now, the, what what I got out of college? Now I learned a lot, and they, they keep trying to get me to come back and speak. But you know, like that's the whole thing. It's like, do I truly believe that this helped me get anywhere? Right? right. right. I don't think it did, except for the one thing, which is discipline. Right? Uh-huh. So I was able to like you know really stay in school for as long as it took to finish. Right? Uh-huh. And that is a lot. Right? It's a lot of work, and it's a lot of discipline. It's a lot of focus, and it's a lot of doing stuff you don't want to do what you really need to do to get it done. So all of that psychology is critical in, you know, being, if you want to be an entrepreneur, yeah, it's really important, you know? And if you don't want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to work for somebody, then I feel like you could work for somebody for the rest of your life and you don't really need that kind of mindset. You know, you really don't need to, you know, the whole start, finish something that you start every time, you know, all of that stuff. Um, there's a lot of people that I meet and have met over the years that have done some really wildly successful stuff like projects. Uh-huh. I owned an ad network for 14 years and we had a um, performance marketing um, business basically. So worked with a lot of affiliate marketers uh-huh. and a lot of them were like 18, 19 years old. Some I had a client, one of my first clients was 15 years old. Okay. an Indian kid named GK Gopal Krishna. Little Indian kid from Texas, right? <laughs> man it's so funny this kid was sending me 100k 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 like every couple of days he was running like you know like performance marketing stuff like acai berries yeah like this is like before none of us knew we didn't know what it was yeah like okay cool we'll run it yeah we'll, we'll publish the ads is we don't know we have no idea we don't care sounds good cool go ahead and this kid was crushing he was 15 years old you know and he was running these ads and like guys like that who were like and, and he after that he continued to go on to do more other things mm-hmm. and um, I think they own Goji Berry now, or sorry, no, they own this thing called, like, these like these um, uh, vinegar gummies. Oh, you know, uh, Goalie. Goalie. Goalie, yeah. 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 Those guys, yeah. Yeah. It's those, it's those kids, it's crazy. But anyway, so these guys, some of these guys are self-starters, and they just get it, and they demonstrate that at an early age. Like, they're doing, like, big stuff, you yeah. know? They're already doing stuff. Those kind of people that already have experience of doing things already, that have already started- then I think that colleges slow them down, you know? Mm. They don't really need it. They're entrepreneurial. They're already there. They already have demonstrated the um, work ethic, yes. and they know how to do it, you know? So those guys are great. Now, there's people that are, like, haven't done anything, and they don't want to go to school yet, you know? They don't want to go to school, but they haven't done anything either. Yeah. They're thinking that, you know, I don't really need to do anything. I could just mm. learn it from these guys. Well, you could talk about it all day long, but you haven't actually done it, you know? Mm. Go try to do it. It's not too late to go back to school, but school is a different place now than it was back you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. So things have changed quite a
1: bit. Yeah, it was uh, not even in the realm of possibility to tell my mom that I wasn't going to college, let alone not becoming a doctor. That's like, you know, that was... So to even say you're not going to go to college, that was not the realm. But it's becoming a little bit more of a conversation these days Mm -hmm. in a lot of households with a lot of parents because I see some parents who are a little bit progressive they're seeing these people who follow their passion start journey you know they're you know whether it's a business it's an idea or something and they're seeing that okay there's an opportunity for success here so okay maybe i'll 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 let let them try this and Mm -hmm. okay if it doesn't work out they can go back to college two years later whatever so but that wasn't on the radar for me it was go to college, go to medical school, become a doctor and sure there, and there was nothing else it was yeah. in, or else you'll be disowned and you'll be ashamed to the family yeah um so that that was a lot of pressure in and of itself and I'm sure you've probably felt some of that pressure as yeah. well yeah I did so, so now fast forward oh by the way, Indian parents get over it they do get over they it. do get over they it. get over everything yeah they do it get doesn't over it. doesn't seem like it at the time but they get over it yeah I still get I still get a little whisper here and there although. Like, yeah, I have the companies, it. I have the businesses, I have the net worth, and, yeah. you know, my friends who are doctors are like, you make how much? And still, my mother is like, you know, you could have been a great surgeon. You <laughs> could have been, you could have been. I'm yeah. like, you got to be kidding me. That was like 20 years ago, yeah. you know? So, what would you say is the accomplishment for you in the, in the because we can go down so many different rabbit holes for business, sure. that really set you off on that next echelon that made you say, okay, I could do this? Well, actually, you know, I had to work for people. Okay. You know? So, I kind of went through the path with
0: college, all this shit, and I worked for a bunch of people, uh-huh. you know? And then I ended up, like, working for the best. It became the best, you know? It became really good everywhere I was. And then, um, you know, it kind of rose to the top, and, and then I was always adopted by mentors, you know? Uh-huh. Because they saw, see, it's like, how do you adopt, a, how do you get a mentor to adopt? you? Know, I get these questions all the time. It's just, you got to demonstrate a few things, you know? You have to demonstrate sincerity. You got to demonstrate that you're going to take that shit and fucking run with it. And you're going to even be, you're going to potentially be better than them. Mm-hmm. They got to see that, you know? And like, I got to see that. I got to see some of these kids I mentor now. It's like, I, I could see these kids better than me, you know? Yeah. If I see that, then I'm, I'll am i mentor these people all day long, right? So same thing. So I did that and I got mentored by <clears throat> some really great people. Mm-hmm. I still I still talk to them to this day. And... um. You know, and I think that made a pretty big difference. And then, so working for people, working for people, and then, and then I, I launched a business um, in two thousand nine that I took public on an IPO in two thousand seventeen. Then it, along the way, there was another company that I launched that I took public too along the way. So there was two companies that took public public, and those were entirely mine. I ran the whole thing. I founded both companies, and um, you know, and I think it was a you know it was kind of more of like natural progression. Uh-huh. And then yeah, and then now I'm in another phase now, like a d- totally different phase. Yeah. And then this phase is a very interesting phase too. We're back to osmosis because it is about the people that you're around mm-hmm. that are gonna determine, you know, like the ideas that you're surrounded with come from the people that you're around. Yeah. And if you're swimming in bad ideas, you're gonna fucking drown. But if you're around great, you know, concepts and and you know, positive mindset and you know, everyone that's around you is like minded then guess what, then you're gonna do, you're gonna rise to the top of that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, that's the whole thing, it's like you gotta rise to the top of whatever you're at. If you're you're sitting in a bunch of shit, rising to the top of that means nothing, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think like a key takeaway for for me out of all of this was I I always found the right people to be around, you know, but it's just not just that it's finding the right people to be around who are actually around the right people too because everyone, it's all infectious, you know? Yeah. People tell me, it's like, hey, how do you find good people in LA? It's really hard. There's a lot of fake people here. It's a lot of Mm -hmm. crazy shit. I'm like, really? You know, I found the best fucking people here because I always have a lot of value to add to their lives, you know? Like, you know, I always bring the the best people with me and people that are bigger than me and that have done a lot of really crazy things, you know, they want to meet those people too. So it's kind of like, that's some of the value that
1: I add, you know. So I'm always attracting great people. So. If you contributors, if you have someone who is just young, starting out, up and coming, and they have their goals, they have their 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 ultimate ambition for who they want to be, what they want in life, but they say, you know, I'm I, what, I, I, I'm I'm just I'm young, I don't have any capacity. Yeah. Uh, what value am I going to bring? Mm-hmm. I remember there was a point on my journey where i said well what value can i bring i don't really know anything there's you know i don't have like a superior skill so then i just got to that point where i said i'm going to go to the people that i want to mentor me mm-hmm. and say what can i do for you what do you need because i needed to make myself valuable and i didn't have a skill set per yeah. se what did you do when you got into those situations because there's going to be a lot of people out there who say, "Well, I don't I don't really have a skill, but I'm hungry and I want to do it." Mm-hmm. What do you say for that person?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's the same kind of thing. So I have a mentor, I have a mentee right now who is this kid is like 25, 26 years old, super fucking smart, right? And he's done some like really creative things. Like he moved here from Northern California with no money, uh-huh. and he was like living on someone's couch and he had you know he somehow got this membership to this gym like we have this gym mm-hmm. and it's an executive membership and it's like everyone in that locker room is a baller right <laughs> like seriously everyone in that locker room is from like you know jlo's manager to like you know i'm in there like to, like you know like full full spectrum of like biggest directors producers like everyone's in there right and he like somehow convinced them to get in the 3 year waiting list on this locker room somehow convinced them he got that he got in there he's in there and he's been there for for a few years, and he's like, he's met every single person in there. Everyone loves him because he's so sincere, humble, and he's willing to work and learn. Mm. He works for me. The kid works 12 hours a day for me, seven days a week now. And what I need, it's like, yeah, it's kind of one of those things. Will you mentor me? It's like, you know, kind of like, you know, I don't really have a lot of time to mentor. And this is gonna be similar for every other mentor, mentor too. It's like, they don't really have time to mentor someone, you know? Yeah. But we have time to work with you. I do have time to work with you, and in the process, you will be mentored. Yeah. So it's kind of like I, will, you know, these guys would will be willing to work and do anything and not complain, and it's like smile and excited that they're learning. That's what I'm looking for because I was doing the same thing. Yeah. So what I did to attract these mentors was I was the same way. I was sincere. I was like, I will do anything it takes, and I'll show you. And I will not complain. I have no ego. I'm super coachable. I'm going to be the most coachable person you meet. In fact, today to this till this day, I'm the most coachable person in the room. Usually, too, I haven't done shit. You know. Yeah. You know, and I haven't learned enough. I haven't learned anything. I'm like constantly learning. I'm learning from you. I'm learning from everyone. You know. Yeah. So to maintain that mindset um, from an early age is really critical, and that's very attractive. You know, and uh, and you know, like amenable to change. That's really critical because. Kids like, yeah, you know, like, what? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? And I just tell them, no. Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. Here's why you should do this. Here's why you shouldn't do that. And then you'll see them. You're right. Adapt. Mm -hmm. It's like I want to put more energy into this guy. I want to put more. He's gonna grow. He's gonna learn. You know, it's gonna be great. So that's how I'm attracting, and that's how these people are attracting me. You know, by willing to do whatever it takes. So I think one key thing is kind of like you want to attract a mentor. Guess what? The mentors are really fucking busy. Yes. Right. How do you get them to like work with you? Well, you need to work for them. That's right. You find a way to work for them. And you tell them you'll do whatever the fuck it takes. Let them pay you whatever the fuck they want to pay you—twenty bucks, ten bucks, mm-hmm. whatever it is, or nothing. Just do it. If you really want them to mentor you, you have to prove it. You know.
1: Yeah. That time that they're gonna spend with you is technically mentoring. So. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of people who, I know, some other people have kind of spoken a similar. Let me say guidance, and they say their response is, "Oh, it never worked for anyone for free." You know that doesn't. You know you you're you're teaching people to not value their time, and because I've said that, and people have kind of pushed back to say, "How can you give that advice to a young person?" Listen, there were times that I worked for free for mentors, sure, and I just said, "I'm going to push and become, like you said, invaluable to this guy Mm. to the point where." He's going to pay me because he doesn't want to lose me. Sure. He doesn't want to lose me. Mm-hmm. And that is bringing that ultimate value to that person. Yeah. Become irreplaceable. Exactly. And that's it. And then you know what? The 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 payment will work itself out. Sure. Because I was learning. Yeah. And as you know in these situations, once you prove yourself a little bit, they would start giving me more uh, more responsibility and mm-hmm. get let me do more and let me do more and let me do more. And next thing you know, I was – doing tasks that when i first started i was like this guy's never gonna let me even like know about that aspect sure. of his business yeah and next thing you know you're doing it. yeah the trust mm-hmm. the value and then it got to the point where like this i would hear him say this kid's you can't put a price on him mm-hmm. this kid's incredible exactly. you know because they, they saw it in me they saw the hunger mm-hmm. and i think that's lacking in a lot of young people today sure. i don't see it and it like when i talk to certain people it's So how much do I get paid? So how much time off do I have? Hey, can I work remotely? I'm like, on day two, Mm. this is your second day of the job, and you're asking for more money, and can you work remotely? Yeah. I feel like they don't get it. That mindset is not there. So now talk to me about your latest venture. What are you most excited about right now that you have going on? So, you know, I think um,
0: I've got my hands in, like, a bunch of different businesses, so I have a – you know I have a real estate business it's um it's my passive income portfolio i have a bunch of properties we have about 20 of them now that are um basically all short term rentals uh-huh. um essentially and it's doing well um trying to get that to about seven figures a month right now it's pretty new uh-huh. and so we're very close i think i'll i'll be there somewhere you know before the end of the year and um and then we're going to multiply multiply multiply
1: it triple it by the end of next year, you know? How do you feel about that short-term <clears throat> rental, like the Airbnb, VRBO market? There's been some talk lately about yeah. it on the decline. How do you feel about that?
0: I know that um, firsthand. I know ins and outs, the whole thing, mm-hmm. uh, inside and out. So in October, Airbnb rolled out a new algorithm last year and um, it really affected people. Their revenue wasn't affected, but a lot of hosts were affected by it. What was it? And it got worse in December, too. So what happened specifically was they started showing lowest price list uh, lowest price listings first mm-hmm. instead of um, listings uh, ranked by quality. Mm-hmm. So now you're seeing like the cheapest cheapest stuff the cheapest stuff gets booked first, you know. Oh. So all the guys with the cheapest prices are crushing still. Uh-huh. The guys with the you know higher price stuff are are not doing as well, but. Anyways, so it's fine. So Airbnb is like ten percent of my business, and I don't fucking care. Yeah, uh, it used to be hundred percent of my business. Mm. I was forced to get better. So VRBO is like whatever. It's either great or not. You know, it's like it's yeah, kind of whatever. You kind of have to have it in the mix. Um, better for longer stays. Um, but now we're on about we have about two hundred integrations now with online traveling agencies. Mm-hmm. So we have proprietary software, and we're doing integrations, demand side integrations, so like partnerships with. Um, Different, different online travel agencies like trip.com, hotel.com, hotelbeds, like booking.com, like all of them, like mm-hmm. Expedia, there's hundreds of them, right? And um, and and those are those are the, the ones I named are prominent here, but we're talking about like um, other continents, right? So in other countries like South America, they have different platforms there. Yeah. No one uses Airbnb or VRBO or booking or any of that shit there. They have their own. Yeah. So we did the integrations with those guys too. And they have them in Asia, and they have them in Europe, and you know all these like proprietary platforms. So now we're you know we're integrated across the board with you know hundreds of online traveling agencies. So we don't really need we don't have like one point single point of point of failure, you know. So basically, setting up you know the whole platform and foundation to scale and grow. Now we're going to get into other markets, so that's going to um, take off. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to do well. Problem is that you're in California. You're you know in a tenant friendly state uh-huh. where there's you know like it's really it's very hard there's a lot of regulation here it's very hard to get you know scale here because it, it, you know there's so many weird regulations and laws and like you yeah. can't do it in some cities and just crazy right limitations anyway so we go to non-judicial states that are red states and where they're not as tenant friendly you do kind of like whatever you want you yeah know? so <laughs> um those are the places like go wide open you know and there's huge demand too like Florida and places like that mm-hmm. so There's regulation there, but not as bad. So, you know, kind of grow into other states and grow that. So that's one business that's um, scaling right now. We have, um, I have another, so I I exited, uh, fully exited my public company last August. Uh It was a company that I took public, uh, uh, ran for 14 years, did hundreds of millions of revenue before he raised even a single dollar um, of outside capital. And um, raised about eighty million bucks. What sector was this? Digital. This is ad tech. Ad tech, okay. advertising technology. Mm-hmm. And then uh, raised about eighty million bucks uh, while being public. Uh-huh. And then I left. Um, and then, so after that, I started a new, another ad tech venture, and we're in stealth. It's primarily focused on connected television, so ads on connected TV. Okay, which are you know the um, smart televisions that you have, like LG. Um, so uh, Samsung TV, Apple TV, uh, there's all these platforms like all well, the smart TV manufacturers have and people download apps. So there's millions of app developers. Yeah. So you are downloading apps kind of like on a mobile device but on a TV screen. So you're on a big TV screen. So the commercials on that, those free apps, right? They're freemium. The apps are free. They're ad-supported. Okay. And the ads are commercials just like you see on Hulu and or yeah. else. Same thing, okay. right? Okay. Anyway, so we're selling those. So uh, essentially, they're like you know anywhere from like twenty to hundred dollars CPMS. You know, okay, it's much more stronger than mobile device. You know, essentially. Uh, so okay, so we've been in that. I was in that business for several years uh-huh. in the last company, and then I just wanted to focus just on that because I feel like there's so much more. Um, it's more valuable to the advertiser because it's a bigger piece of real estate. You could interact with it because you could actually you could go down a conversion funnel because you'll see like these ads will have a QR code on them. Okay. You scan that with your phone while you're watching TV and you can, you have a landing page on your phone and then you can check out and you can do all kinds of really cool stuff. Right. So cool. We didn't have that on, um, you know, in stream, sorry, linear television, like cable. and Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's the business for that. It's programmatic advertising, um, specifically in connected TV and OTT and, uh, Get that to scale, and and then move into devices. So that's the next kind of spectrum. Mm-hmm. So there's there's some players out there that are testing. They're spending a bunch of money, and they're going after basically the free TV market, mm-hmm. giving out TVs with two screens, and one screen is for ads, and then they have ads supported, um, ad supported content, meaning apps that are OEM on the, on the device itself, um, meaning yeah. they come with a bunch of apps, right. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like people were giving out phones for years. Yeah. Uh, you know, like a browser, like a specific browser browser to add injection and stuff like that. But this is like a television screen now, you know, free TV. So um, a couple guys are doing it right now. They're spending a bunch of money. Great. Mm-hmm. Let's go. <laughs> wow. see how it plays out. And we're already in, you know, kind of trying to figure out how to do it for, for less and make it a little bit more stickier, you know, because yeah. um, free TVs with ads, I think, is could be the next kind of area that um, could
1: grow pretty fast. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but TVs are so cheap. So cheap. It's crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. you go to Costco, yeah. and like you can go there one day, and they have a price for a 55-inch screen. I just bought a 90-inch yeah. TV a year ago. Mm-hmm. And the 90-inch TV now is like $1,000. It's crazy less. Yeah. So, it's it's kind of wild that, you know, obviously with the progression of technology, mm-hmm. the price is going to come down, but I never even, this is something like I never even thought about. Like, hey, well, you know, free TV, but you just got to, you know, and I think, yeah. of course, with our current state of the economy and the way most people are living, yeah, mm-hmm. most people would go for that. I could back it out,
0: you know, in you know, a spreadsheet in like two minutes to tell you what it would, you know, how many ads, I mean, how quickly we can break even, you know, like how long it would take to break even. So if if a device like a 55 inch just average TV, yeah, if a device would cost us like you know anywhere from like 80 to 150 bucks, our cost, how how long and how much content would they need to stream, and how many apps do we need to embed, you know, and uh, you know how many advertisers do we need to get on board to be able to break even, and how long would it take? I could build a model and cash flow it, you know, within, uh-huh. you know, say so yeah, it'll take us like 65 days, you know, for this user to break us even you know, on that much advertising or whatever the number is, you know, it could take longer. Then we can cash flow that or we could factor it and then, you know, it could um, scale it from there. So it's pretty crazy. It's just like mobile phones, you know? Yeah, yeah. Giving away mobile phones. Why? Because the subscription, uh-huh. how long does it take to back out, you know, so it's yeah. the same thing.
1: Yeah, the cost of the, the hardware gets eaten yeah. up. Yeah, exactly. Did you ever see this as where you would be at this point? Did, or did you did you in your mind say yeah I know I'm no I'm gonna be there I'm gonna be even greater than that Is this something that you envisioned like at this point with what you're doing with tech and then we're gonna get into some of the other things we talked about Sure you know I think it's it's interesting but no I didn't actually so
0: I didn't know what I was gonna and I still don't know what the fuck I'm gonna do tomorrow You know like I yeah. have these things going on right I'm really good at finding things that work You know like I i I could quickly figure out something and make it work really fast, and mm-hmm. then I can scale it, because I've had, so working with people, working for people over the years, helped me understand how to build real scale, you know? Cause we got certain company, you know, like lower my bills, we got to over a million bucks a day, and then we sold it, you know, like it took a lot of wow. infrastructure and operating, you know, uh, you know, like operating resources and people, and just, you know, so much to really compartmentalize the entire business to a point where we have metrics on every single piece of it uh-huh. and then we're tracking all the metrics on every single part of it and then get all the whole thing scaled by like each module, each module, yeah. right? So we compartmentalize every business. And that's I'm doing that for everything I do. Okay. And so, you know, so I can get, I can figure out how, I can work something, make it work, I can find something, make it work, compartmentalize it, take it apart, scale it and get it to grow pretty fast. And it just happens to be situational, because it's not something that like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that I was going to be in the ad network business. Uh-huh. I didn't know I was going to be in connect television business. Those, those are not aspirations of mine at all. You yeah, know? I didn't even fucking care about advertising. <laughs> I just figured it out. You know, yeah. like I just saw some people crushing in this space, and I figured out, oh, I could, fi- I could do that. But let me see how I could add some real scale to it. Uh-huh. And so I know how to do that, by taking it apart, and then, um, so that's kind of how that all happened. How did the Airbnb thing happen? It's really crazy, too, because I got, um, so I bought a house in 2007. Economy crashed in 2008, eight, nine, and then I ended up um, saying, you know, like, I can't sell this house. I was paid, overpaid for it, you know? Yeah. Can't sell this house. Fuck it, I'm just going to make make it my own. I'm going to do whatever, you know, so I demolished the house, built a new house, spent way too much money on building that house, and then during the, pro- it took three years, and during that process, I was like, I got tired of it. And I bought another house and I moved. Yeah, it's like what? Yeah, I got tired of it. I'm like, dude, so many delays. The city bureaucracy. It's like fucking liberal nightmare. You know? Yeah, it's crazy in LA. And then I finally finished the house and I was like, listed it for sale. You know, I was like, I'm gonna fucking sell this house. I don't need it anymore. You know, better house. So I couldn't sell the house because you know. And then so and anyways, couldn't sell the house. A weird time. So then some of my friends were like, hey, we're doing Airbnb. You know, like you should do it too. I'm like, nah, no. Not gonna let these people come in and abuse my house you and know? break my stuffs. House is crazy. Yeah, you know? like it's you know it's a great house. It was four and a half million in our house, whatever. But like it was, um, it was it was really delicate, you know. Anyways, I started doing. I start just fuck. I'm gonna try it. I did it. I tried it, and I got it so so crazy. It was doing fifty grand. This house was doing fifty thousand dollars a month for eight years, you know, until October. What? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like this one house, you know. Anyways, so then. I started to scale from there. I so said like, you know, this was like the fucking greatest thing. I was ever- like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I'm so glad I never sold this house. And you know, it's funny because the guys that had the listing were, were the twins, Jason and Brett, you know, from Selling, Sense Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're my boys for like 15 years anyway. So they try to sell a house. Every time I see them, I see them out all the time. I'm like, thank you for not selling my house. But they couldn't sell the house because it was always rented. They couldn't show the house. Oh. It was always occupied, always rented, couldn't do open houses, nothing, always rented. Like bro, we can't sell your house because we can't show your house, you know. Anyway, so that's what ended up happening with that. I just did an episode. I actually, just filmed an episode on season seven um, for Selling Sunset. It'll be out like oh, a couple months. Yeah, just like sh- we're shooting for like eight hours. It's crazy. Oh, nice. But um, but yeah, it'll be fun. Oh, very. Buying the house in
1: Brentwood on the episode it was fun, but yeah. So um, when you talked earlier, we were kind of talking and we kind of went down a little bit of path. We started talking about some of the the mushroom industry which is sure. a lot of people are starting to talk about that now mm-hmm. a lot of people have brought it to let me say the forefront people like joe rogan talking about it yeah. um i you know i asked you yeah huberman you know mm-hmm. um you're now you're monetizing that going you know another a- avenue and area sure. of business for you mm-hmm. how did you end up in that domain
0: yeah so you know um it's interesting it's a passion project right and it's because yeah, I really feel good about it, what it does for people, and I'll talk a little bit specifically about some of the people that I've helped with it, but um, I kind of went down that road because so like, I've never done really any drugs in my life. In the two, that early 2000s, I did some MDMA. Mm. I lived in the Bay Area. You know, kind of everyone did, and uh, that was it, and then I tried mushrooms. I, I vowed I'd never try them again because I had the worst trip. It was so bad, you uh-huh. know, and then... Um, it was, and, I, and I tried weed, you know, but I can't smoke weed I just get you know I just feel slow and stuff, right. So those three things it's the only things I ever tried. And so and I used to drink a little bit, you know I never drank much but just a little bit. So about four years ago, three and a half years ago, I quit drinking completely because I was on this health kick. So my best friend is Myspace Tom. MySpace Tom has been a carnivore for like four years, you know, like no kidding, yeah, like he's like blending like kidneys and fucking hearts and livers and shit. Oh, he's doing nose to tail. He was, he was, he doesn't do that anymore, but he's still, he's still really super healthy. But anyway, so he, um, you know, he's been really progressive, you know, and he's a great influence in my life, and he's been, you know, I've been with him for like twenty years. We've been close friends for twenty years, Uh and um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, I, I adopted a lot of his you know, qualities and characteristics because he's just a, you know, top shelf uh, first class guy. You yeah. know, he's just the best, he, he's just the best at everything. Anyway, so he's been a great influence for me. So um, a lot of diet and health and biohacking stuff, like I really have been, he's been, int- he introduced me to Dave Asprey. Dave Asprey tried to teach me how to meditate. It was kind of crazy, you know? I mm-hmm. uh, couldn't do it at the time. So I quit drinking, you know, about three four years ago because, three and a half, four years ago because I felt like I was doing everything. I was fasting, I was like, you know, I was carnivore. I was, you know, working out three times a day. I was doing all this stuff, uh-huh. and there was the one thing in my life that I didn't, you know, that was contra to my thesis on health. You know, which was drinking. Uh-huh. I didn't drink much. Anytime I'd go out, you know, like once, like once a week or twice a week or something like that, I have like one drink or two drinks or something. You know, not so much. A couple of drinks a week. Yeah, uh-huh. a couple of drinks a week. But it was still there was still no benefit to it at all, right? Yeah. It was, Bad or no benefit. There's no, mm-hmm. there's nothing good coming out of it. Anyways, so I quit completely, and I was like all those people that you know felt like I needed to really kind of drop my inhibitions, take the edge off. You know, I could have better conversations with people when I'm. It was all a, is 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 a weird perspective. It wasn't real, you know. Yeah. Anyways, so then I had a friend um, at the time. He's a Silicon Valley guy, mm-hmm. and. He's been pretty successful. They built, you know, a few businesses, sold one to Facebook, and then built another $3, 4000000000 billion business within three years, right? And uh, smart guy, but, you know, he said, you know, hey, he's been trying to get me on mushrooms for years. You know, mm-hmm. he's like, hey, every all my ideas, they come from shrooms, like everything, you know, like, whoa, this is crazy, you know? And, um, and he's like, you yeah, know, basically, you need to start microdosing. You know, I'm like, nah, man, I can't. I don't do any drugs, you know, no yeah. drugs. I don't yeah. do it. I won't do it. And, um, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know it wasn't drugs, you know, yeah, I yeah, it was drugs, it's fucking mushrooms, you know, the hippies and hate street and all that shit that's what, know, that's why I, I always thought about it, right, is. yeah. Anyway, so he's smart. He sent me a bunch of science. He knows if he sent it to me, I'd read it. Uh-huh. So I'm reading these double-blind, placebo control studies on like what it does for your brain. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like what Huberman's like two-hour podcast on psilocybin and the effects on your brain. I advise everyone to watch that podcast. It's phenomenal. Everyone it's should phenomenal. watch it. Yeah, it's yeah. two hours of what psilocybin, psilocybin's effects on your brain. Anyways, um, and it's basically so while you're while you're micro, we're talking about microdose, not macrodose specifically, but microdosing. What's well, what it does for you is like mood enhancing, uh-huh. um, and uh, and it's just uplifting. So you feel you just feel happier, really. You don't yeah. feel like high or anything like that. You just feel happier, right? Just feel you know like you're in a better state of mind. But while that's happening, your brain's being rewired, right? So essentially, you're creating new neural network connections and neural, neural pathways in your brain, and it's spawning neurogenesis. So imagine this: so like you're having a drink, it's killing brain cells. Yeah. While well, you think you're having a great time, you're killing brain cells. Yeah. Um, these guys are doing like, oh, whatever kind of drug, you know, like whatever it is. Yeah. They're feeling great, killing brain cells, right? Well, you're microdosing. You're feeling great. You're growing brain cells. <laughs> this is insane. You're yeah. like, wait, what, what kind of shit is this? Yeah. What are the side effects? There aren't any. You wake up happier the next day. Wait, what? Yeah. So you wake up the next day happier than the day before. What? How is that possible? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's crazy how it works, you know? So- it's called a reverse hangover. So I was, you know, like I started reading all this stuff about, you know, PTSD and 80% of the subjects that the military sent, you know, like the came back from Afghanistan. They gave them a high dose of shrooms. 80% of them showed no signs of PTSD after the first treatment. So I started thinking like, yeah, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm mildly fucking depressed and most of my friends are too. Yeah. Know? And so like, I think this will be really helpful for me. And at the time I was running a public company. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I was in the media every day for some stupid shit, and some trolls are trying to short my stock, you know? Yeah. i you schedule a $2 million Bugatti. It's in the fucking paper, you know? He's overpaid, you know, some stupid, crazy stuff all the time. So um, I was really freaked out and stressed out all the time. And so this is really starting, you know, to really help and um, made a pretty big difference. And, you know, and then so I had some friends. So, so I started basically my friends introduced me to some people and they had like these um, brands, you know, Uh microdose brands and stuff. And they're, you know, like you tried them out and I tried them and I tried them again and tried them again. And I was like, Hey dude, like why do they feel different every time? You know, it's inconsistent. Like what's going on? So me being able to get to anyone in this town, (laughs) I got to these guys, the guys that own these companies. And I'm like, Hey guys, what's up? And so I started asking questions. Like, why is it? So I want to understand, like, is this the, Is this the nature of the mushroom, or what is it? You know, like why do I feel different every time? Sometimes I feel really super great. Sometimes I feel kind of anxious. Sometimes you know, like Mm. what is it? Like I don't feel weird. I feel weird. You know, like I don't know what it is. Anyways, well they said, oh, it's because the strain's different. So I'm saying, like, wait, you're using different strains on your product every time? They're like, yeah, sometimes. Like why? It's because we get different deals on the on the mushrooms. Uh, different strains, different deals, you know. Uh, so whatever they get a the best deal on, you know, I said, Oh, that's really crazy. So then I went down the rabbit hole of understanding strains and mushrooms. Now it's very different than weed. So then I started understanding that, hey, these these strains, well, they could be anywhere in the world. Okay. These strains, right? Like this for for example, some of the chocolates we use, we have albino penis envy. It's a strain between the albino mushroom and the penis envy, it's a it's a cross strain, right? Okay. Now that ends up being very similar everywhere. Like the what you what you should expect as far as an effect will be the same. It's highly euphoric, Mm -hmm. and uh, it has you know it's very clean. You don't have any anxious finish or anxiety or anything. It's just you get a little bit of body high, and you're just really happy and super. It's a euphoric feeling. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, that's what that's known for. And it'll be here or Brazil or anywhere else. It'll be the same. You know, you have the same feeling. So I said, you know what? And then there's a strain called Be Positive. Be Positive is you know, it's highly, it's a super energetic strain. It makes you feel like you want to work out. It's really crazy. You actually want to work out. And you, when you're working out on it, it gives you, you know, a really strong mind-body connection. So that's called be positive, and that's similar everywhere too. So I say, hey, you know, we need to create products that will basically will have a, a predictable outcome every mm. single time, and people will know what to expect. Let's educate them on the strains. So I, I did this out of like, hey, you know what? there's this kind of happening out here it's kind of wrong you know? yeah it's like people don't know what to expect and they're feeling different every time and then it's causing a bad you know it's it's just a bad taste in they're everything. gonna move but away
1: from the industry and they're going to move away right, from the product exactly. in general yeah
0: yeah so we did you know so we did some um a bunch of products and then they're very specific and we educate people what to expect what kind of you know how do you, how you're gonna feel yeah and what mood you should be in you know all that stuff so it's Pretty interesting, um, worked out pretty well. Now, I had some friends that were uh, that we treated for different types of addiction. Mm-hmm. So, one of my friends was hooked on opiates uh-huh. and um, painkillers, and then he got off of that by being you know, by moving the addiction to Kratom. So, Kratom is this plant that ever, you could buy in gas stations, it's you could buy it at the 7 yeah, Eleven, yeah. And Kratom is, is this very similar to an opiate, it's not an opiate, but it hits the opiate receptors the same way, and it causes a very similar type of addiction, you know, and it's it's pretty gnarly, and to get off of that, it's really crazy, so I had friends that were, um, I had one friend that was hooked on, on Kratom, got him on shrooms, never tried shrooms before, got him on our, you know, microdosing stuff, he got off it, he was crying, he's like, dude, you saved my life, this was crazy, I was almost, you know, he was considering, you know, ending it, it was really crazy, so. Uh-huh. He's super happy about that. Um, so many other types of addictions, like another one was Adderall. Uh-huh. So somebody, um, this is a common one, you know, Adderall has this really gnarly withdrawal. So people have been on Adderall for a long time. They come off it and they have this deep, deep, deep depression, you know? No kidding. And so they're microdosing out of that depression and it works really well for that too. Um, it has. And then, um, you know, there's all kinds of other stuff. People, we really... The whole idea was we the way we dose these things like either the chocolates or the or the gummies, mm-hmm. we dose them as cocktails basically, right? So we want to replace cocktails. That's the whole idea. It's like hey, don't drink, just have one of these. It's the same kind of like dosage. Yeah, so what you get out of a cocktail, this will last like an hour, hour and a half. You'll feel like you know, you'll feel super happy. You'll be really social. You'll be talkative. You know, you'll want you know be be like kind of like everything's you know. Like how you
1: expect alcohol to make you feel, but it yeah. never makes you feel that way. That's kind of the idea. And I got to ask you this before sure. we end: Is there any addiction? Because I could imagine that feeling that good feels great, and sure. I want to. I would want to keep doing that.
0: So I'm going to tell you, like basically, what you get, what I get out of it, right? Is what I'm loving about it is not the chemistry or the chemical itself. It's how it 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 what it what it does for me in that moment. It puts me in present tense. Uh-huh. So we all have a problem of being present, right? Like yeah. it's the biggest issue of society today. So the reason why we, so I had this like th- weird crazy thing. So I had no, I had really bad memory. I couldn't remember shit, you know? Uh-huh. My whole life, you know, it was kind of crazy. And then like I got, you know, on shrooms and and dude, it's crazy, I remember every word everyone says. Like it's not, I'm not joking, I'm actually I'm verbatim, I'm talking about every word everyone says my girlfriend everyone's freaked out all the time cuz I remind them of the shit that they've said <laughs> you know what it what it what it was was I was never present you know mm. so I wasn't listening I yeah. was never present so mushrooms forced me to be present it really forces you to be present puts you in that moment and while you're in that moment you start appreciating and showing gratitude you start realizing that this is really great and what is really most important to me is is all the stuff that defines my character and i can't really understand that until i'm fucking present yeah you know and so you become present you realize what 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 really identifies you or what <clears throat> what's the core of your character and that is what's most important to you yeah and that's what identifies you and that's the stuff that you really should care about not all this other shit like for me it's like my family my friendships cultivating new relationships health and wellness. You know, that's the stuff that's most important to me. And that's what really identifies me. It's not my work. Yeah. Or it's not the shit that, you know, is transient and changes every day. My work is a job. Yeah. Whatever, you know, like tomorrow it's going to be, you know, I don't know, I'm Indian, I'll you know, I was 7-11 or something, you know, <laughs> fucking <laughs> selling stir- donuts. Selling No, those are Cambodians. Are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah Cambodian. You can't fucking cross that shit, bro. I can't cross that line. You <laughs> <laughs> can't cross that line. Yeah, they're going to be a territorial. But yeah, so, you know, from that standpoint it's like you know, I had it all wrong Yeah, and I had to like really understand like, and then the meditation, you know, so I practiced TM and, um, that really, really changed a lot for me too. Yeah. So between that, like, Hey, by the way, we're spiritual, we're Indian, but we're actually spiritual, you know? And so that, <laughs> <laughs> that actually, we're not just like playing, Yeah, I'm back to being Indian cause it's trending, but all of that stuff actually, you know, it's, it's work inside and, yeah. and within, and then also, you know, so psychi- the whole psychedelic stuff and all the research around it is so compelling. Um, I did a ketamine therapy, re- two ketamine therapies recently. Uh-huh. My friend Derek, he owns a company called Better You Care. Uh-huh. It's a U, Better You Care. And um, they do this like telemedicine ketamine K therapy uh-huh. treatment. It's a lozenge that you swish around your mouth for 12 minutes and you spit it out, and then you wear blindfolds and headphones and you're laying. There, and You're in this like deep um, thing for meditated, sorry, medicated meditation for an hour and a half, mm-hmm. and it's profound. It's crazy. I've never felt anything like this. It's like your th- your thought is traveling at the speed of the autobahn, with no cars on it, while otherwise you're naturally processing thought like you're driving around West Hollywood, stop and go, stop and go, stop yeah. and go. So I process like two, three months worth of thought within one and a half hours. It's crazy, and you can, and you're fully coherent, aware. And navigating, and you don't feel impaired at any point. You don't feel high or anything. Yeah. It's really great. And um, um, so I recommend that for a lot of people. One of my friends was suicidal recently. I don't know why I get the best ones. It's weird. Um, And uh, some girl broke up with him. It was really sad. And uh, I did power drill him for an hour and a half in a a lunch, and I got to him, Mm -hmm. and I reset him. And then the next day we did a K-therapy, and he's like, 180 degrees, like he's like, dude, you know, like so different, you know. So it's really made to like really help people do a lot of deep meditative work. Yeah. Some sometimes people can't get to that meditative state without medication. So yeah, Yeah. it's really more of an enhanced, medically enhanced meditation.
1: Yeah, I found that with uh, you've heard of of course NAD. I've done I've done the NAD treatment. I haven't done that yet. It talk about mental clarity coming out of it. It, it. It like change. It'll change your life. You have to take the ox spleen or something. No, I just, I did it through IV. Okay. And, uh, it, I mean, at first it's, uh, really uncomfortable. Sure. Then you kind of get settled into it, but you have to do six treatments within eight days or something like that, or, you know, so it's, uh, and you're, you're there for a couple hours. So it was pretty intensive, but every time I've done it, it has been like, it's um, unbelievable. But, um... That is something that got me into, you know, about the psychedelics and trying to learn more and then the ketamine for people with addiction. Mm -hmm. But man, there's so many things we have to touch on that I know we got to close, but I definitely want to have you back because I want to talk to you about the fasting and also the carnivore diet because we were sharing a little bit about that. I know that's something that a lot of people want to talk about, Mm -hmm. but thank you so much. This has been absolutely incredible. Where can people find you to follow your journey? Sure. Follow me on Instagram, Tedskilla two L's. Okay. And uh you put it on the screen. But yeah. Yeah. That's about it. Awesome. That's your main yeah. that's your main that's it. avenue. Yeah. Man, Ted, thank you so much. Thank There's you. so much more we gotta get into. Stay tuned. There's gonna be a part two, but thank you so much. Thank you. Make sure you check out his Insta. We'll put all the links below. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next time.